0: Our Cancer Journey.
1: Hey OCJ friends, it's Bruce and we are back with part two of our interview with Dr. Arash Asher on the Our Cancer Journey podcast. On today's program, we're going to be discussing some fascinating concepts that could actually affect your cognitive ability. And I'm not talking about just for people
0: with cancer. It applies to everyone. Check out this clip from the show. One of the things that's been discovered is that chronically lonely individuals have upregulated, they've turned on the genes that produce these inflammatory cytokines. People who experience more significant levels of loneliness are actually more likely to have symptoms of cancer-related cognitive impairment.
1: The Our Cancer Journey podcast is a place for those impacted by cancer, their caregivers, and their loved ones. Together, we explore ways that we can optimize our lives through the experiences of diagnosis and treatments and beyond
0: into the future of survivorship. And now your host, Bruce Watkins.
1: Greetings, everyone. This is Bruce Watkins, your host for the Our Cancer Journey podcast. This show is growing so much that if you happen to have landed here and don't know where you are. This is the place where together we explore ways to help you feel better, live happier, expand your self-empowerment, and enhance your life experience. Welcome to the Our Cancer Journey podcast. I'm so happy that you tuned into this show because our guest, Dr. Arash Asher from Cedar Sinai, is a brilliant man and he's a leading voice in the survivorship movement, and he's got some fascinating things to share with us today. So as you know, in the last episode, which was part one of our interview with Dr. Arash, we spoke about the concept of chemo brain. We unpacked it a little bit, looked at some of the symptoms that cause it, and talked a little bit about the history and the unfortunate bumpy road it took for patients to convince people in the medical community that this symptom was actually real. Well, thankfully, we are way past that now. And there's been a lot of research on this chemo brain thing. As a matter of fact, the name chemo brain has been renamed. And the reason why is because people like me and thousands of other folks that did not get chemo but got other treatments had very similar cognitive issues after these very aggressive treatments. So it's now called cancer-related Cognitive impairment. Okay. Dr. Asher said, Hey, man, that's a mouthful. So he gave us an acronym, CRCI. You're going to hear CRCI in this episode because we're going to continue to talk about the cognitive challenges after illness and treatment. And one of the most fascinating things in this space is that we're now starting to realize that cancer related cognitive impairment or CRCI goes way beyond just the physiological issues, that environmental and social things appear to have a direct impact on how this manifests, how long it lasts, and how deep it affects us. So we're going to start mentioning CRCI chemo brain, and then we're going to jump right into a question I had about gene expression. That's right. Our genes and how they express themselves can absolutely impact our cognitive ability that means the ability to think clearly and operate well in our mind and then dr asher is going to talk about the concept of loneliness loneliness can impact our gene expression and then how that can affect us and then we're going to mention the word cytokines again it's a special thing that's created in our body that can create some havoc If you don't know that term or you're not exactly sure what it means, please go back and listen to the part one episode of this interview with Dr. Asher. It's the one right before this in the chronological order. Check it out when you get the time. The concepts Dr. Asher is going to talk about apply to not only people going through cancer and people that are in survivorship from cancer, but it applies to all of us. Okay, here's the part two of the interview with Dr. Asher. Let's roll the tape. So, Doctor, you just said the word gene expression. I'm just starting to really understand this. I mean, the entire DNA mapping thing is still relatively new, and and you folks have a lot of visibility to it. Us out there in the public only get what we hear through the news, right? So, I know that our ancestors hand us down our genes, and our genes are there, and Our genes will have certain types of programmings that will function in certain ways, not only immediately, but throughout our life. But you've said a couple of times now that there are things and choices we're making and lifestyle things that could influence how genes behave. Could you go into a little bit more detail about gene expression and what we're talking about? Because this program, as you know, is about people learning takeaways to do things to help optimize their life. So let's dive into some of those things about what people can do to potentially
0: influence what's going to happen with our gene expressions in our body. So I'm no geneticist, but I can relate to you that we know that our lifestyles may influence, again, which genes to some degree are turned on and turned off. And I can give you a couple of concrete examples. Please. So one that's interested me is this whole idea of loneliness. And we actually recently published a paper showing that people who experience more significant levels of loneliness are actually more likely to have symptoms of CRCI, cancer-related cognitive impairment. And at first that didn't make sense to me. Like why, what would loneliness have to do with how our brains function? And this has been shown in other populations, right? So we know in the general population, the older adult population, if you're chronically lonely you're more likely to have general cognitive decline. Which, again, may not make sense, but one of the things that's been discovered is that chronically lonely individuals have upregulated, they've turned on the genes that produce these inflammatory cytokines. Ah,
1: see, it's now all coming together. We used to really separate the emotions feelings of detachment and all those kind of things to be just psychological things. Those were over in that bucket. But we're now starting to see a direct connection between physiological things happening in our body due to attitudinal things, behaviors.
0: That's fascinating. I think it makes, again, ancestral sense. So imagine ancestrally if I kind of lost my way from my tribe and I was living out in the jungle all by myself. What can we imagine? I could imagine that I'd be more vulnerable to a predator attack, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, our bodies and in its infinite wisdom is doing what it can do best to protect me. So, if I'm more vulnerable to an attack and a wound, I'm probably going to want more of these inflammatory compounds ready to go to, to create a response to help me heal from you know, that, that wound, that injury, that, that infection. And of course, that's an advantage because I want to make sure I make it through this acute, you know, event. Now, the challenge, though, is, you know, right, this is always a double-edged sword in biology, that what was meant to help me in the short term, in the long run, may be harmful. So yes, it may help me recover from that infection or wound, But if you have those inflammatory compounds being produced and released month after month, year after year, decade after decade, right? those same compounds may be contributing to a higher rate of heart disease, um, dementia, certain cancer types. And most of the chronic illnesses that we think about with our modern lifestyles seem to have inflammation at least. Contributing it in part or to a great degree. And that's just one example again of how the way we are living our lives may be changing how our biology may be playing out.
1: Wow. That is so powerful, Doctor. So, Dr. Asher, there's so much happening in the social sphere that we're in right now while we're recording this. The engagement that human beings have with social media. And the initial concepts of social media to be a platform that was serving itself as well as serving the end users. And by serving itself, I mean designing the platform to connect people, possibly at a superficial level, but start to take up more and more real estate of our time, our awareness, our attention, and in some cases, our self-esteem. There's information in the news right now while we're recording this that isolation from true human contact and instead looking at things, pictures, representations, and social media, aren't there surveys that say that people are lonelier today than they were even 10 or 20 years ago just based upon asking themselves who's in their life?
0: Yeah, there was a, there was a fascinating study um... I think it was from around 2006, where they repeated a survey over 20 years. In 2004, they asked Americans, how many people do you think you can really confide in or count on during a time of need? Yeah, and that's a good way to define somebody that's close to you, that you're truly connected to. Right, because it's worth mentioning that loneliness is a subjective phenomenon, right? It's, it's ultimately how I perceive my situation in my environment rather than some objective number
1: right because people can be lonely in a room full of people they could be lonely with other people that are around them and may even want to connect with them but their feelings about what's going on may prevent them from connecting so can, continue now. yeah
0: you could be married and lonely right, right? They, they tend to go together that isolation often leads to loneliness but that's not always true and we could all think think of exceptions so we were talking about that survey So, there was this interesting study where they basically asked Americans over two time points, how many people do you think you can count on or rely on during a time of need? The first was, I believe, in 1985. And at the time, one in 10 Americans said, basically, zero. 10% of us said, there's no one I could really count on or confide in during a time of need. Which seems like a substantial number, but they repeated it about 20 years later, around 2004, 2005. And at that time, almost one in four Americans, almost one in four, said zero. There's no one I could really confide in, count on during a time of need. And that's that's sobering to think about. Wow! And right, this is not a cancer study, right? So this is an issue for society at large. And And as you were alluding to with the increasing use of time on social media and our iPhones and and whatever apps are out there right now, that number probably has gone up even further because right, we know that relationships take work. They're messy, they're ugly, they take investments. It takes a lot of effort to work through the kinks of our relationships, our family members and friends. And I think what this evolving science is telling us and teaching us is that probably worth the effort. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, how many people are in a psychology of avoidance? In every capacity, just think about that. People avoid food. People avoid social situations. They avoid sharing real, true vulnerability. I mean, this is coming out of everywhere, The people are isolating more and more, and incidences of cancer are on the rise in different places,
0: sometimes inexplicably.
1: Wow, this is really powerful, Dr.
0: And I think you said something very important. I think the challenges with having close relationships, which is one, being open, but also being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not easy, especially in a probably a world where We want to avoid any of those kind of discomforts. And it's just easy to kind of tune out when something uncomfortable comes up. Well, we're very lucky, Doctor, that the
1: listenership of this podcast is about learning something new. They want to hear something new. They like new concepts. They may not agree with them, and that's fine. We're not actually trying to advocate any particular thing other than lay down expectations and just hear what other people have to say and consider them for yourself because you need to be deeply involved (laughs) as the decision maker in your life. So in order to do that, you have to put yourself out there. What was one of the old adages? Learning only comes from failure. And by getting out and engaging with people, it is messy and it can be hurtful. Exactly, But you learn more about the other person and you learn more about yourself. And it's an entire life enhancing thing. And now those human connections may very well keep a gene from starting to express itself in a way that could eventually harm us, either through symptoms or potentially through cancer.
0: That is amazing. What's amazing to me is when you look at the data today, we're learning that people who are experiencing chronic, and again, we all feel lonely sometimes. I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, we're. We're still in the throes of this pandemic and I, the idea that we're talking about loneliness during this time uh, to me is even more relevant than ever. But we know that when we're experiencing chronic loneliness, it's associated with a higher mortality rate, maybe 20%. Seriously? I mean, it's that high? Indeed. Certain cancer types seem to have higher recurrence rates like breast cancer and, and ovarian cancer. Oh, uh, higher risk of Cognitive decline in the general population, as we talked about, higher risk of heart disease. It's really an interesting and, and sobering part of uh, psychobiology.
1: Psychobiology. Wow. That's something that we need to know a lot more about. <laughs> this has been phenomenal, and I've learned a lot. Now, Doctor, I want to move on to a different topic. Is there anything else about loneliness you want to share with us? What would you say that we can do? To really help start to turn the corner on making decisions that would help us to mitigate some of this loneliness, this subjective understanding of where we are in the world and who is connected to us.
0: I would say that I hope that for most of us, just hearing some of the science would kind of catalyze this idea that, you know what, again, even though it's difficult and it takes time and effort, it's worth keeping our close relationships. I mean I, even if we think about the political environment today I mean uh, w- what was the statistic i read about how many family members do not talk to each other because of whichever side they voted for i mean that's just crazy to me I, and i and i get it i'm talking about a hot potato right now but the relationships i think are the basis of what makes us human and i and i think what helps us live well now for some of us when we've been contending with this for a really long time, we may need the support of uh, perhaps a therapist or someone else to help us re-examine our relationships and maybe see them in a different light. So yeah, well, that when we get in a cul de sac of our own issues, yes. And and so I I think that's worth mentioning. There's evidence that, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy can be helpful if we think, look, we're really stuck. But again, I think for the vast majority of us, just reminding ourselves that this is not just uh, a psychological or mental issue but that this may actually influence our biology i hope will be enough well
1: one of the benefits about disconnecting from media is that you actually begin to see that some of the stories we're being told aren't always true now we're a non-political show because we're looking more at the humanity of different individuals and making change through that avenue. But I think you know I travel. And one of the benefits, I've gone to different parts of the country where, oh yeah, there's very strong political ideals, and sometimes they espouse some of the stuff that, if you want a negative archetypal person of that particular other side, And a lot of people have that picture of that person, and sometimes it's projected on people. I know people that consume certain types of media and never have spoken to anybody that doesn't think like them. And the different self-mythology that they've built about why they shouldn't speak to these other people gets stronger and stronger. And you go to some places, especially places where people need to rely on each other to keep an eye on each other. There are people with the exact same political persuasions, but they know they need to be talking to each other. And when they do, they begin to realize, hey, some of these archetypal false things I'm hearing aren't true about these other people. But I will tell you, doctor, there are people that have this figured out, and sometimes they are the simplest, most unassuming people. And they seem to be a little bit happier and a little bit more grounded. So exactly. I hope that's a great thing to take is reconnect with people, even if it's your cranky uncle. Pick up the phone. Don't disconnect now. Reconnect as much as you can. And technology isn't always a divisive thing. It can be really good,
0: right, doctor? You could imagine there are people that have, for example, a really rare illness. Mm -hmm. And how else would they connect with people without the you know, the marvels of technology would be impossible.
1: Right. I've been invited to join dozens of Facebook groups for very highly specific cancers, And these people feel a sense of relief that they have an understanding out there and they've met somebody else. It's not only a personal bond, it's a sense of belonging and learning too. So
0: it can really be used for something good. So like most things, right? It's probably a double-edged sword.
1: Exactly. So, Doctor, this is really, really powerful stuff. It's important to so many people. It's far beyond the cancer community. This is all the human race. We've lost track of the need for connection. Do you have any closing thoughts on this for our listeners that you feel would help them really contemplate this at a deeper level?
0: So I'm not aware of a drug that can recreate the benefits of social connectivity. Wow! Again, probably improving overall survival, uh, risk of heart disease, risk of succumbing from certain infections, cognitive functioning. And as we talked about, while I don't know of any evidence of loneliness causing cancers, there's some emerging evidence that it may increase the chance of recurrence for certain cancer types. And I've always loved this quote by one of the lead researchers in the field from Chicago, When he was really trying to tell the story of how important this is and this is what he said he said the degree to which social connection can improve our health and our happiness is both as simple and as difficult as being open and available to others
1: oh doctor that is that's perfect that's perfect because it is simple and yet sometimes it's
0: difficult for us. It is difficult, but I think it's worth remembering that like most things in life, it's not necessarily the quantity, but the quality, right? And for many of us, just having one or two or three or so people that we feel connected to in in an authentic way and in a meaningful way might be all that we need. Dr.
1: Arash Asher. Dr. Arash you delivered in this program. What's killing me about hosting you is that I know how much and how eloquent you speak on these topics and it would be my absolute privilege. I hope one day you will return and we can continue this conversation because it's immensely valuable. Thank you for everything you do. And especially thank you for taking time and spending time with me and our audience here on the Our Cancer Journey podcast.
0: And Bruce, I I want to thank you because I know you are working on a much larger scale to raise awareness for important issues that I think can make a really significant and meaningful impact for the well-being of our community and our society. So I'm grateful for what you're doing.
1: That means more than I could ever tell you, doctor, because you were one of my biggest inspirations to go out and do good works. So thank you very much. And Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Asher is working on some more content for the future, too, which we'll hopefully be talking about in the not-too-distant future. we got to push him to get this stuff out there. So, Dr. Asher, thanks for coming on. It's always a
0: pleasure. Thank you again. Bruce, pleasure is mine. Thank you so much. So there you
1: go. That concludes our interview with Dr. Asher. What did you think of that? I'll tell you, I was mesmerized. By the concept of social connectivity and how it's directly affecting our health. As I said, how many people do you know is bought into this new sociological phenomena that makes people not only feel justified, but righteous about separating themselves from other people, judging them, saying they're not going to connect with people, and isolating themselves in their own little thought bubble? and not reaching out to others. Well, now we know that's not a great thing to do for your health and for your cognitive ability, too. This is information that, once people understand it, it could change their lives. And that's what we do here. We try to share these emerging ideas and concepts that we don't get from normal media, and we don't get sometimes from very traditional sources. So, I want to take a moment to thank Dr. Asher for taking time out of his busy schedule to spend time with you and me on the Our Cancer Journey podcast. I'm so happy and grateful that there are so many visionary people that are committed and passionate to sharing this information, whether they're in the traditional Western medicine world, or whether they're in the holistic world, or the Eastern medicine world, or psychologists and psychiatrists, or cancer survivors. And you know what? I'm also grateful for you too. I'm grateful that you're open. That you're coming to this podcast because you know you may hear some new ideas and you want to hear them. Because we all know that every minute of every day, we are being told information that is represented as fact. Or that it's the one and only option. And while sometimes that may be true, other times... There may be other opportunities, new developments, new discoveries, and emerging procedures. And through that growing sense of self-empowerment, we will know that we can ask follow-up questions, and we can choose our reactions and the decisions on what to do on our own terms. Because this is Our Cancer Journey. This episode of the Our Cancer Journey podcast
0: is sponsored and produced by Fairlead Media, all rights reserved.